The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lauren, for reading for us. Seems like in every family there's, there's at least one. There's a family member maybe on the outskirts that you're not so proud of. Uh, there's that crazy uncle, and that may be the nice way of saying it. There's the weird uncle, or the, a little bit, little bit out there on the edge aunt. Uh, just seems like in every family you got that one person, you're probably thinking of that person right now. And just so you know, if you're not, and you're thinking, I think our family doesn't have that person. Well, <laughs> you might want to ask yourself that question later when you're brushing your teeth and you're looking in the mirror. You might be that person, but it's this, have we got, is this one family member on the outskirts over here that we don't necessarily talk about a whole lot, that we don't want to bring into the normal flow of the conversation and the events of the family. And in the context of what we're talking about today, in the context of where we are in Genesis, this is kind of a topic today that's kind of like the crazy uncle. It's, we're talking about the wrath of God. And you just heard the verses read for today where God decides to wipe out everything that he has created, that he decides to, he, you know, we're setting the stage for the story that we're going to develop for the next few weeks about Noah and the flood and the ark. And we see a picture here in our Bibles of a God who's angry, a, a God who's um, got this wrath. And we don't, we don't like to talk about that. We, our, for whatever reason, our culture seems to kind of push away from it. it, it it's uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable. Even in the Christian culture, we're uncomfortable with a God who's angry at our sin. We're uncomfortable with a God, uncomfortable with a God who's pouring out wrath on people, uh, punishing people for their disobedience. We're not comfortable with that idea. But we have to talk about it every now and then. And, and today, like, we just go through the book of Genesis, so we're here on this, this part of the story where we see this picture of God's wrath, and we're going to talk about it. But as we do that, I want you to just think about the fact that as uncomfortable as we are with the idea, the Bible's not. The, the, the people who wrote the Bible that were inspired by God to write these words were not uncomfortable with this picture of God who's a God of wrath. In fact, the, the idea of a God of wrath, a God of anger towards our disobedience is mentioned over 600 times in our Bible. So the, the biblical writers, the, the context and for the scriptures, the, they were not uncomfortable with this idea. They, they, they embraced it. In fact, this whole uncomfortable position towards the idea of God of wrath is really a, a, a recent deal. For most of the 2,000 years of church history, they've embraced that idea. And we've kind of, in our culture, began to push it away. And so as we kind of unpack this idea of the wrath of God and look at this doctrine, look at this theology, look at this biblical truth that we see all throughout our Bibles. I want us to keep in mind a few things. First, Proverbs 9.10 is one of the places it says this that you might be familiar with, and it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So wisdom, and we've talked about this a bunch, wisdom is knowing what's right to do and then doing it. So it's living a life where you're, where you're living the right way. And that begins, the Bible tells us, with a, with a fear of the Lord, with an understanding of God's power, with an understanding that God has the power to sustain us and to bless us, and he also has the power to destroy us, that, that he's in complete control. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of our motivation to live by God's standard. It's the, it's, it's part of our motivation. It is a motivation for us to live according to God's decrees. It's to follow him, to obey his commandments. Part of that motivation comes from our understanding of his power, from our understanding that our disobedience evokes his wrath. It's, it's a motivator. It's, it's not the only motivator. I, I would even argue that it's not the, the, the highest motivator because in the Bible it tells us this other picture, this other side of God, this that that's, the Bible's not afraid of the conflict that we seem to think that there is of God of love, a God who's wooing us, a God who's drawing us, a God who pursues us, that his kindness leads us to repentance, that leads us back to him. That we don't love him first, he loves us first and he draws us to himself. That that's the picture that we see all throughout scripture of a God of love. And so our love for him or our response to his love is an is a even higher motivator, but it doesn't mean that our fear of him, our understanding of his power to destroy us isn't a motivator. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we need to talk about it. We need to remind ourselves of both sides. We need to be at least somewhat balanced in this. We like to talk about his love. We like to talk about his grace. We like to talk about the forgiveness and all those things are true and they're the dominant themes in our scriptures but we also need to talk about the other side. And so we talk about wrath today. And you heard Ryan in the uh, welcome this morning talk about the fact that today's the last Sunday of the month and so we have kids in the service. Where's Pastor Kai when you need him? <laughs> so it's, it feels almost even more uncomfortable. Oh no, all the, all the four-year-olds and the five-year-olds are in here and they're gonna have to hear about the God of wrath. And we can't, we can't hide this from our children. We don't. Like there's an appropriate way to teach it, but we can't hide it. Look at this verse, Psalm 34, 11 says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And it's important. It's actually almost in some ways a blessing to have all the kids in here today because I'm hoping that there's some seeds of truth that are planted that will lead to some of those conversations that Ryan was talking about on the way home or at the lunch table or when they're fighting off going to sleep tonight and you're having a conversation in, the, in their bedroom. Like maybe there's some conversations here because children can grasp these concepts. Children can grasp the truth of this. They, they don't have to have the full picture, all the understanding of it, but there's some nuggets of truth about God's wrath and his discipline that even a child can grab a hold and understand. Because kids, you understand this, right? You understand on the basic level that when you disobey, you get punished, right? Is that, raise your hand if you've ever disobeyed and been, been punished by your parents. Go ahead, raise your hand. We all, everybody's doing it, okay? So you understand that that's like a natural consequence, right? You understand that when you disobey, you still got your hand up? That's great, just keep it up all, all morning. When you disobey, there's consequences. And so children can understand that because you guys are 
trying to be good parents. You're, you're, you're working with them. You're teaching them those kinds of things. And so they can understand this big picture, and at least on that level, that there's consequences to our disobedience, that our sin is a problem. So come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It's something that we should be teaching our children. It's something we should be talking about, at least on an elementary level with them. And here's what it does for kids. It gives them a full picture of the gospel. And I say for kids, but really for all of us. Because it answers the question, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die the death that he suffered? Why did he have to suffer like he did on the cross? Why was death so horrific? Why was it that way that Jesus had to come and die? And there's a lot of ways we can answer that question. There's a lot of ways that we can kind of soften the answer to that question, that Jesus died to save us from our sins, that he died to break us free, to redeem us from our slavery to sin so that we could have a better life. There's a lot of ways we can talk about him rescuing us and redeeming us and fixing our problems, but the Bible talks about it as Jesus saving us from God's wrath, delivering us from God's wrath. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, the second part of that talks about Jesus, and it says, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So for all of us, even our children, we can understand this idea that there's consequences for our sin, and the consequence the Bible teaches us is that God's wrath is about to be poured out on us, and Jesus saves us from that. So it gives us this full picture of the gospel when we really understand God's wrath. When we understand the bad news, the good news gets better. And I know we've talked about that before, but this, this good news that is the gospel is really, really good when you understand how bad it really is. And so we talk about God's response to our sin. We talk about his wrath. We talk about his anger so that we can really understand the good news. So, and so as we talk about God's wrath today, as we look through this passage, I want you to keep all those things in mind and keep in mind that at the end, I promise, we're going to get to the good news, and it'll be even better if we really embrace this bad news. Because here's what this passage is teaching us about, about God. Look at verse 5 again. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So there's a play on words here, the, the Lord saw. This is all a part of the story of Genesis. This is not isolated. And we're trying to, as we walk through this, keep this big picture of the story in mind. Remember, God saw all that he had made and he saw that it was good. He declared that it was good. And so here, after sin has taken hold Adam and Eve fell in the garden and sin became a part of our existence. Sin became a part of the human race and sin is wreaking havoc and death is reigning and sin is reigning all throughout creation. God now uses that same terminology. God saw the wickedness of man. In creation, he saw that it was good before the fall. Now because of the fall, he saw, he, he saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So that just gives us a glimpse of what the Bible teaches about this. And the Bible teaches this big picture, and here it is. All of us have sinned, and because of that, we've offended a holy God. All of us have sinned and offended a holy God. It's important to get the whole sentence there. It's important to get the whole truth. We've all sinned. We kind of all know that, I think. But our sin is first and foremost, and ultimately an offense towards God. That all of the things that we do to disobey is really about disobeying God. So children, when, when you disobey your parents, there's consequences of that. And you could, you could say it this way, I've sinned against my parents because I disobeyed them. Here's what the Bible says, God told you to obey your parents. 
God's the one who said, you need to obey your parents. And when you disobey your parents, you're ultimately disobeying God. You're, our sin is an offense to God. And all of us are guilty of it. The Bible makes this very, very clear. Romans 3.23 is a verse you, you're probably familiar with. It says, for all have sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8 kind of says it, the same thing in a different way. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So you think, well, all have sinned, well, that probably doesn't include me somehow. You found a loophole. And then 1 John says, if you say that you don't have sin, if you say that you're fine, you say you don't need anything, you're deceiving yourself. The truth's not in you. So the Bible tells us very clearly that all of us have sinned. But the Bible doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just leave it there. It ratchets it up to where we understand that our sin is an offense to God, that none of us have a chance, that we're all completely in rebellion against him. So you have a passage like Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3, which Paul's going to quote again in Romans 3, that's really, really clear. Psalm 14, verse 2, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And so here's just what the Bible tells us, that all of us are in the same boat together. We've sinned against the holy God. We've rebelled against him. We've disobeyed his commands. We've, we've rejected his authority. We've said we don't need God in our lives and we've walked away from him. And because of that, we've, we've sinned against him. We've offended a holy God. And so God looks in this situation, in this part of the story of Genesis, and he sees wickedness. He sees the evil. He sees that all their intentions are evil. And he responds to it. Verse 6, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I have made them. So once again, creation is showing up here in this part of the story, and God's, it's, it's almost like God's saying, I'm going to reverse that. Uh, I, he created man, he created the animals, he created the creeping things and the birds, and now he's saying, I'm going to wipe that all out. And so what we learn from this part of the story, we, we learn that all of us have sinned and offended a holy God, and here's the result of that. Our sin stirs up the wrath of God, that God responds to our sin and I know this is hard sometimes for us to say this, but it's like, it's just Bible. He responds to it with anger. He, he responds to it with wrath, that we've offended a holy God. He wouldn't be holy if he didn't respond this way to our disobedience. And so our, our sin stirs up the wrath of God. So you see, he sees the wickedness, and then he decides he's going to do something about it. He responds, so he's going to wipe it out. Now, before we really talk about the specifics of that, I want to at least call attention to something here in the text that's interesting. You see in verse six, it, it says the Lord regretted that he had made this, he had created the world. The word regretted in some of your translations, if you have something different than what we're using here in the ESV, it may say repented. It's like he changed his mind almost. He turned away from that. And so you see God creating the world and then it was good and then man fell and sin entered the world and everything's going bad now and it's like God regrets ever doing it. And it's kind of this weird picture that we see in this passage. And so I want to at least try to point out some other 
thoughts about that. And I want to look at a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and this will be on the screen so you can see it or you can highlight it for later. 1 Samuel 15, God had appointed Saul to be the king of Israel. And Saul disobeyed him continually, and God finally got to the place where he had enough. So 1 Samuel 15, 11 says, God speaking, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. So there's God saying the same thing, same word. I regret or I repent from my decision to appoint Saul as king. And so you're left answering, asking this question, wait, is God in control or not? Is he, is he sovereign over everything? And he's in control of everything? Or is God just watching this all play out and then just kind of reacting? Oh no, this is going bad, I'm gonna... And all throughout scripture, we, we see a God who's in control. All throughout scripture, we see a God who's got everything under his plan and his direction and is never surprised and doesn't just react, but is guiding the world. In fact, 1 Samuel 15, 11, he says, I regret that I made Saul as king. And then 18 verses later in verse 29, the Bible tells us this, and also the glory of Israel, the glory of Israel means God, it's another name for him, the glory of Israel, God, will not lie or have regret, for he's not a man that he should have regret. That word is the same word it used in verse 11 where it said, I regret. And so there's this, there's this paradox on the surface in scripture where it says, God says, I regret it, and then a little bit later it says, God doesn't regret here's what it's trying to tell us. God doesn't regret like us. God's regret is different than us. God's anger is different than our anger. God's emotions, he, he has emotions, but it's, it's a perfect picture of emotion, and ours is never perfect. When, when, it's, when we have good emotions, it's just a shadow of God's perfect emotions. So God has this ability to look at something and regret it while still knowing that he would do it the same way over and over again. And if you think about it, there's situations in your lives where you may have had to do something difficult and you even didn't want to do it and regretted doing it, but you said, I would have still done the same thing. It was hard, it was painful, but I still would have done the same thing. There's things like that in our lives which gives us a picture and a shadow of what it might be like to be God and say, I created the world, I had this plan all along, and it's going exactly the way I want, but I still regret it. This is not what I want for my children. This is not what I wanted for the human race. And so it's just this paradox on the surface that we kind of have to embrace that when Moses is writing Genesis, he's not worried about the consistency of the rest of the Bible. <laughs> Genesis is just starting. But we have this whole picture. We have all of the scriptures to inform us God's always in control. God's plan is right on task. He's not surprised. He's not caught off guard. And so God may regret here and express that regret, but it's not the same as when we go, man, I shouldn't have done that just not. So, our sin stirs up a response from God that the Bible calls wrath. It's, it's an anger. And I, I think we need to make a couple comments about that so that we kind of get a gra grasp of it. First is this, God's anger is just. God's anger is just. It's fair. God's anger is a just and right response to our disobedience. And that's the problem for us because we see anger in such a negative light because of how we respond in anger. 
or you've been the brunt of some kind of angry response before and it wasn't fair, it was out of proportion, it was over the top, it was too much of a reaction to something and it went in a negative direction. God doesn't do that. God's anger is a perfect and righteous and justifiable response to our sin. We've sinned against a holy God. And so his anger is always just. His anger is always in control. His anger is always a perfect response. We've seen that already in Genesis. We've seen the disobedience is poured out. There's discipline poured out on their disobedience, but it's like it matches the crime. It matches You took the fruit, so I'm going to banish you from the garden so you can't eat the fruit anymore. Work's going to be hard. You're going to still get get to enjoy the fruit of your labor, but it's going to be difficult now because you didn't do it my way. Like you see constantly his punishment matches the crime. And that's the truth we need to remember. It's the truth about his anger that we need to grab a hold of, that his anger is just. It's never an overreaction. Why? Because our sin is offensive to him. Our sin is a disobedient response to him, ultimately to him. And so his punishment for sin, his wrath poured out on us is just. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Kids, I know you're with me. This is great. Here's the second thing. God's anger is holy. Maybe, Maybe you've had some bad experiences with anger in your life. Maybe there's been some really over-the-top, way too much anger poured out on you. And that's clouded your picture of this whole idea of a just and holy anger. And, and I can't fix that. But I can just tell you that here's what the Bible teaches us, that God's anger is never out of control. God's anger is never like just, he just lo- loses it and just goes off on it. It's just, it's a justifiable response and it's holy. His anger is right his, he, God doesn't sin in his anger. Most of us, let's be honest, most of us, we sin when we're angry. We lose control. We lose control of our emotions. God never does. His anger doesn't look like ours. His ways are higher. He's perfect. God is not, he's not tempted by sin. He's not, he's never going to sin. He never has sinned. He's not going to sin in his anger. And so it's hard sometimes for us to embrace that because the way we see anger is a sinful expression of it most of the time. But God's anger is about wrongs in the world. God's anger is a holy response to evil and pain and suffering that he sees in the world. When there's evil in the world, God's anger, his wrath is poured out on that. And so his anger is holy. There's a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. If you, want to, if you want a summer read and you haven't read that, it's a classic. I, I, it's, it's like a must read. And here's one of the things he says. There's a whole chapter on wrath in that book, just so you'll know. God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that, the human, that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. It's good. It's a good reminder. God's anger is different. It's holy. It's right. It's just. It's a response to our sin that's appropriate. And it seems harsh. Eternal punishment seems harsh. And that reminds us that our sin really is that bad. Our sin really is that offensive to him. 
If the punishment is that harsh and we know his anger is justifiable and it's holy and it's right, then we have to go back and go, man, we really are messed up. We really do need help. We really have offended a holy God. So all of us have sinned and offended a holy God and our sin has stirred up the wrath of God. He's gonna respond to sin by pouring out wrath, by pouring out punishment. And before we go any further, I, I want us I want us to acknowledge this fact. I think it's really important. This is not a unique concept to the Bible. This is every religion that are, there is out there. This is not unique to Christianity. Our God's the angry God. <laughs> this is every religion. Every kind of man-made effort to get back to God centers on the idea that God is probably displeased with our disobedience. And so every religion except Christianity tells us that you got to do some things, you got to make some sacrifices to get back in good favor with God. Like he's disappointed with us, he might be even angry with us, and every religion tells us that. Whether, whether you're a Muslim going through Ramadan and you're trying to follow the rules of that and the fast, it's all because you know that if I don't do these things, God's going to be displeased, and so I want to keep God on my side. Or a Buddhist that you've chosen this path of suffering because you know if I, if I can suffer, then maybe I will earn this right standing with God. There's every religion, animism out in the uh, in remote areas of the world where they just worship spirits. It's all based on sacrifice and God being happy or mad at me. And so I got to do things. I got to make sacrifices to make sure that God is okay with me. Every religion has this. You look all across. This is not unique to the Bible. It's not unique to Christianity. It's in every picture of religion that you see. In fact, it's even bigger than that. You can even see it in the relationship between ants and grasshoppers. I'm pretty sure that's true. Let's, let's just find out. Might have to watch that later and find out the rest of the story. You see the picture? The grasshoppers are the authority and they've worked so hard to make this sacrifice because they don't want them to be angry. If we give them enough food, and they'll take the food and they'll leave and they'll leave us alone. It's, it's all throughout our culture. It's, it's not a unique idea to the Bible. But God has a solution for it. The solution is, is of course, Jesus. And here's, here's what we know about this whole picture of God's wrath, that God's wrath is ultimately satisfied in Jesus. So a while ago we read Romans chapter 3, Verse 23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I want us to get the rest of the story because we need to, we need to see the rest of the story. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, and are justified or declared right by his grace as a gift through the redemption, our purchase, our, he purchases our freedom that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And there is a lot of truth in just those few verses, but I wanna focus on verse 25. God put forward Jesus as a propitiation. So propitiation is a Bible word, and it's, it's kind of a weird word. We don't use it very often, 
But it's really important to understand here that propitiation, and, and, and guys, Pastor Kai's not here, kids, Pastor Kai's not here this week, but he told me that if you can come find him next week and you're the first kid to spell propitiation correctly without, uh, you know, from your memory, then he'll give you a dollar. He told me to tell you that. So just find him next week. Propitiation means satisfying the wrath of God. It's the sacrifice that we make that takes away the anger of God. And so the ants were making a propitiation sacrifice to the grasshoppers. That's what's going on. They're making this sacrifice. They've gathered all this food for them, and now they're going to worry about themselves. But they've gathered all this food for the grasshoppers so that the grasshoppers will be okay with them and not destroy them. And it's a propitiation, it's a sacrifice, it's all throughout religion. And here's what the Bible says, that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for us, that in Jesus, God's wrath is satisfied, God's anger is taken care of, and here's why, because God pours his wrath out on his son instead of us. God pours his wrath out. All this justifiable, holy anger, he pours it out on Jesus so that you and I don't have to endure it. It's this unbelievable picture in the Bible of a God of wrath who satisfies his own wrath by destroying his son on a cross. So let me give you a couple things to think about on that. A holy God demands a sacrifice for sin. A propitiation has to be made. There has to be a sacrifice. There has to be punishment or he wouldn't be holy. He'd be just like us. But he's holy and so there has to be some kind of propitiation. There has to be a sacrifice. A holy God demands it. But don't let that be the end of the story. God provides the sacrifice for our sin. We couldn't do it. We couldn't gather enough things, enough good works and store them all up and and God be okay with us and we take away the wrath of God. No, our best days are like filthiness to him, filthy rags in his sight. We cannot make a sacrifice that would take away the wrath of God. So God does it for us. He makes the sacrifice to appease his wrath. But it even goes further than that because God himself is the sacrifice for our sin. In the person of Jesus, in the person of God the Son, he becomes the sacrifice. God demands a sacrifice, and then he's willing to make the sacrifice for us, and he goes all the way to the final straw, and he becomes the sacrifice. God pours out his wrath on Jesus. Kids, it's like God punished himself. It's like the next time you get in trouble and your dad says, I'm going to punish you, all of a sudden he punishes himself. However that looks, time out, spanking, whatever. Draw me a picture, it would be awesome. That's what, it's, that's what it is. God makes the sacrifice himself. He is the sacrifice for us. God's wrath is not the end of the story. Verse 8, God's going to wipe everything out, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, which is just a little glimpse of grace saying, this is not going to be the end. God promised that there's a seed coming from Eve, that's gonna eventually redeem this and restore this and bring it back to perfection. And he's gonna keep the story alive because Noah found favor with him. And so the story goes on. God's anger, his wrath is not the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus dying on a cross, making the sacrifice that we couldn't make, becoming the sacrifice for us 
to bring us back to God so that we can experience not God's wrath, but his love, his overwhelming, pursuing, never giving up love. So we get to thank him for that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us. That even on a day when we have to talk about this biblical truth of your anger and wrath and response to our disobedience, that love still rules, that love still reigns. Because when we had no hope at all, no chance of taking away your wrath and making it right, you did it for us by sending Jesus to die for us. And God, we thank you for that today. We, we celebrate that today in response to this truth. That's in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.